In Matthew 16, 13 through 16, the Messiah asked the question of his disciples, But who do you say I am? To which the Apostle Peter responds, Atahu HaMashiach ben Elohim Chaim. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The concept of the Messiah, Mashiach, Christos, as expressed in the Bible, is uniquely Jewish. And in Yeshua, we see the fulfillment of expectation going back centuries, even, we might say, to the Garden of Eden itself. A hope which is still with us today as we eagerly await His return. Welcome everyone to Messiah and Life. Today we're going to study the subject of Messiah, Mashiach, Yeshua, Jesus. Today, that very idea of Messiah is unfortunately not seen as being very Jewish at all. Rather, it is most readily identified as a Christian idea, uh, one which many Jews reject, except perhaps in the Orthodox worlds. Yet, one of the most prominent rabbis of history, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, Maimonides, wrote in the 12th century, Ani ma'anin be'emunah shelema beviat hamashiach ve'af al im kol ze'ech achelo b'chol yom she'avo. I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah, and though he tarry, I will wait daily for his coming. Many have speculated that this was an attempt by Maimonides to answer uh, uh, the Christian uh, apologetic of his day, but he does make it one of his tenets of faith that we are to believe and to wait for the coming of the Messiah. To believe in the Messiah is perhaps the most Jewish of beliefs itself perhaps as important as monotheism itself. And of course, the idea of the Messiah predates Christianity by centuries. When we consider Peter's response to the question of Jesus, who do you say I am? We have to remember that Peter's response, his response was based on his Jewish upbringing, his Jewish belief, the Jewish ideas of his age. It wasn't something that he was inventing uh, of his own at that moment in time. You are the Messiah, Atahu Mashiach, Ben Elohim Chaim, the Son of the Living God. So in this, we find both the answer of who Messiah is, who Yeshua is, his purpose, and his divine nature. If you recall, we've discussed previously in, uh, from John chapter 5 and 46 and 47, that Moses, according to Yeshua, had a revelation, an expectation of the coming of the Messiah, the prophet like him who was to come from among the brethren. Yeshua says that Everything that Moses wrote was about him. Now, we can't say for sure that Moses knew the name Yeshua, Jesus, Messiah, until Matthew 17. Although we find a beautiful uh, poetic 
uh, picture that his successor, Joshua, Yehoshua, Yeshua, was a type of Messiah who brought Israel into the rest and the promised land. So, when we think back into antiquity, uh, thinking of Abraham, the father of the faithful, Yeshua said of Abraham, your father Abraham was glad to see my day, and he saw it and did rejoice, John 8, verse 56. So, the nature of Messianic prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures we find, we might actually qualify as progressive, and each prophecy sheds more light on the subject of the Messiah. And we can find four, maybe uh, we might call principal prophetic periods of Messianic prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures. We have the patriarchal period, we have the Mosaic period, the Davidic period, and then of course the period of the prophets themselves. And we see from this that the hope of Messiah was kept alive from generation to generation. And in fact, by the first century, um, many uh, Jewish academics will say that the Messiah was the centerpiece of a Jewish future, that he was the centerpiece of a Jewish future. From the Babylonian Talmud, in Tractate uh, Sanhedrin 98b and 99a, we understand that the world was, quote, created for him. Who is the him here? the Messiah, and that all of the prophets prophesied of his day. And of course, this is in line with the thinking that we find of the Messiah in John 5, 46 and 47. Moses wrote about me. So, we find that these ideas uphold our opening text from Matthew. And we note that there is a difference in the Messiah that Jewish sources identify with roughly 456 passages of Scripture that apply to the person of the Messiah and his work of salvation. And to those that refer to the anointed offices of prophet, priest, and king who are also known as Mashiach or Messiah. As these, you know, were anointed positions, you were anointed into the position. And, and as an example, Leviticus 4 verse 3 says this, Im hakohen hamashiach, if the anointed priest. So, this is obviously not speaking of the Messiah, Yeshua, as uh, in the Levitical uh, type, but it's speaking as the kohen, the priest who is anointed. So, let's consider a couple examples. Uh, well, more than a couple. I'll, I'll be honest, more than a couple um, of prophetic revelations from each of those periods that I've listed above. Um, the earliest accepted reference in Jewish sources that we have to the Messiah comes from Genesis 3.15. And it reads, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, and you shall crush his heel. And of course, this is speaking of the violence between her seed, that is the Messiah, the promised singular seed, and his seed. And this will be the this will result in the suffering Messiah uh, that is typed for us in, in Isaiah fifty three. But ultimately, we'll see the crushing of the enemy's head, meaning his authority. Now, from a 
pre-patriarchal period, we can look at Job 19 and verse 25, where he says, For I know my Redeemer lives, and as the last shall rise over the dust. From the patriarchal period, one example is Genesis 22 and verse 2, Take your son now, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as an ascending offering on one of the mountains which I command you. And prophetically, if you recall in Genesis 22, as they are making their way up the mount, Isaac says, uh, Father, uh, I see the wood and I see the fire, but I don't see the offering. I don't see the lamb. And Abraham says so beautifully and prophetically, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Genesis 22, 8. From the Mosaic period, of course, we have Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God shall rise up for you, a prophet like me from your midst. Listen to him. Now, Philip uses this verse to proclaim, if you recall, in John chapter 1 to Nathaniel, that they had found the one that the prophets had spoken of, that Moses had spoken of. And of course, that's John 1 verse 45. And then in Matthew 17 and verse 5, the Lord himself quotes Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, when he says to Peter, listen to him. Now, from the Davidic period, we have uh, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, and your house and your reign are to be steadfast forever before you. Your throne is established forever. So, it is from this promise to David that the prophets, before, during, and after the exile of Israel and Judah, will begin to base their words concerning the Messiah and his mission. That'll be the the background, the hope, the promise that God will restore the divinic throne. And then, of course, we have the prophetic period which there is so many references that it would be uh, an entire episode or two or three just to uh, look specifically at those. But I might refer you to the four suffering, uh, excuse me, the four servant songs of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53. Um, Academic, (coughs) Jewish academic named Dr. Raphael Batai, who was an expert on rabbinic literature, writes regarding the four servant songs. The great poet-prophet spoke repeatedly about the servant of the Lord, describing the call, the mission, sufferings, death, and resurrection of this mysterious individual. As to the identification of this servant, there is no scholarly consensus to this day. However, the Agata, the Talmudic legend, unhesitatingly identifies him with the Messiah and understands especially the descriptions of his sufferings as referring to the Messiah, Ben Joseph. There is the idea that there were two Messiahs, the suffering servant, Mashiach ben Yosef, and the conquering or the kingly Messiah, Mashiach ben David, continuing Dr. Batai. From the words of Isaiah, we find, and it is understood that Messiah would be a great king, humble, humiliated, rejected, and bear the consequence of mankind's rebellion. Mankind, he specifies. 
And earlier than this, Isaiah wrote, For a child is born unto us, a son is given unto us, and the rule is on his shoulder. And his name is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He would also be called Emmanuel, God with us. And because he would be the son of David, his birthplace of Messiah the Prince was known. And Micah 5 verse 2 is given as the reference, of course, regarding Bethlehem. So when we consider that short overview of of all of these uh, references that we find in the Hebrew Scriptures, we note that the prophetic hope of the Messiah grew, or more correctly, we might say it progressed over time. Dr. Daniel Boyeran, who is professor of Talmudic literature at UC Berkeley in California, he writes this in a, in a phenomenal um, short book called The Jewish Gospels. Many Israelites at the time of Jesus were expecting a Messiah who would be divine and come to the earth in the form of a human. Thus, the basic underlying thoughts from which both the Trinity and the Incarnation grew are there in the very world into which Jesus was born and in which he was first written about in the Gospels of Mark and John. So, from Boyeran and hundreds of other references, we find that many Jewish people in the first century were expecting the Messiah who would come to heal apostasy, who would heal disobedience, who would heal the sins of Israel and usher in the Messianic age or the millennial kingdom, which also included prophetically, we know from Zechariah, included Gentiles being brought into the fold. Yet sin and corruption and all that humanity has to offer caused many leaders in the first century, not all, but many, to wrestle with Yeshua, to wrestle with Jesus, and to ultimately to reject him and to cause him to be put to death. But that rebellion, and this is where the story doesn't end, the rebellion that caused that would be used to bless the nations with deliverance from sin through the blood of Yeshua, blood of Jesus. So, it's been argued by some in contemporary theological circles that the Jewish people did not expect a divine or a supernatural Messiah. But from what we've just considered and examined from the prophets, that certainly was not the case. And Boyeran points that out as well, based on his research. So, the apostolic authors present Messiah as both human and divine, and they're not pulling this out of thin air. They're deriving their theology from the Hebrew scriptures, from the prophetic writings. He was, of course, the child of supernatural origins who carried the full weight of divinity, the divinity of the Lord. He was the fullness of Godhead bodily, who was the son of God worthy to receive worship from all people. Messiah Yeshua was and is the only begotten Son of the living God, the Word made flesh, the only name under heaven by which man could be saved, who is coming again upon clouds of glory. 
and according to the Apostle Peter, is both Lord and Savior. So we can see that the Jewish concept of Messiah or Christ is pregnant with biblical meaning and hope. As I said, by the first century, when Messiah was born, the idea of the Messiah was the very centerpiece of the Jewish future. So, we know that all of the writers of the apostolic scriptures, of the New Testament scriptures, wrote concerning Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, from the Hebrew scriptures. That was the text they had. That was the Holy Writ. And their writings developed from their understanding from both the scripture and what was expected among the people. And their understanding of his coming and his work from that witness that lined up precisely with the work that he did in fulfilling those prophecies. It was a Jewish hope. It was a Jewish expectation. And Dr. Michael Brown does a wonderful job summarizing the coming of Messiah nearly 20 centuries ago. He writes this, The Hebrew scriptures teach that while the second temple was standing, there would be a divine visitation to that temple of great import, bringing purification and judgment. Sin would be atoned for and everlasting righteousness ushered in and the events associated with this second temple would be so great that its glory would surpass that of the glorious first temple. If the Messiah, the Son of God, did not come and visit the temple, if he did not pay for our sins and establish a way of righteousness, a new way of righteousness, if he did not bring the glory of God to the house of God, if his coming did not purify and purge the Jewish people in his generation, then how were these prophecies fulfilled? What divine visitation did take place if not for the coming of the Messiah? When else did God visit the second temple in a personal way? It's an extraordinary observation, one based entirely <clears throat> on the prophets Malachi and Haggai. When we consider all of this, we need to consider very closely just the fullness of, of what the coming of the Messiah means to us, how it impacts us. And we're going to go into much more detail on that in, in the weeks to come. But I want to read a little bit of a lengthy section from the Apostle Peter, from his first epistle in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And I'll conclude somewhere around verse 16. But listen to these words and meditate on them as I'm reading them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. In his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua from the dead. An incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance has been reserved for you in heaven. By faith, you are being protected by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. You rejoice in this greatly, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you are being distressed by various trials. These trials are so that the true metal of your faith, far more valuable than gold, which perishes through refinement, 
excuse me, which perishes through refi- though refined by fire, may come to light in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua, Messiah. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you trust him and are filled with joy that is glorious beyond words, receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The prophets who spoke about the grace that was to be yours searched for the salvation and investigated it carefully. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances that the Spirit of Messiah within them was indicating when predicting the suffering in store for Messiah and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were providing these messages not to themselves, but to you. These messages have now been announced to you through those who proclaim the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Even angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So brace your minds for action, keep your balance, and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had form- you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. For it is written, Holy you shall be, for I am holy. When we think of <clears throat> this subject matter, the overview, the power, the history, the expectation, the prophetic hope which led to the revealing of the Messiah, which led to people to look, to search, to seek, to hope, to anticipate. We can see from this short introduction into the subject of Messiah, Mashiach, Christos, Yeshua, Jesus, that the study and understanding of the Messiah, particularly from Jewish sources, is probably much greater than most of you or most of us have considered. This, I hope, the short overview of the biblical Jewish expectation and hope of the coming of the Messiah that the apostles wrote of and proclaimed at a proclamation that that went beyond the borders of Israel. I hope it fills you with a hope, an expectation. I hope it fills you with a hope that will cause you to continue to press into the things of God, to search more in the scriptures, to be encouraged, to have questions to seek out answers about regarding who Jesus is. And I pray that it helps you to helps you to have a clearer understanding of the person and the ministry of Messiah Yeshua Jesus and all that he has done for you, all that he has done for those who are being called to him, 
and ultimately what he will usher in when his father says, it's time to get your bride. So friends, I hope and pray that as we continue to unpack these ideas, the next podcast will discuss the apostles from within a Jewish context, who they were and what they practiced. And then ultimately we'll discuss the gospels breaching that border and going out into the world and what this message of Jewish hope, Jewish expectation meant for the world and what ultimately the inclusion of the world in this hope means for the Jewish people. Friends, I thank you for listening today to Messiah and Life. I hope and pray it was a blessing for you. May the Lord bless and keep you in this day to the glory and the honor of his Son and to the kingdom, his kingdom that is to come. I pray today, B'Shem Yeshua, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.